Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined as ever by Stefan Thomas. Another weekend of European action. I guess there's only one place to start, and that's Tanethley on Friday night. Scarlet's obviously losing to uh, the Georgian outfit, Black Lion. We, we've had a few moments this season where it's felt like this is the lowest point for the Scarlets, but this truly is probably the nadir of their season. How have how have they got there, and, and, and where do they go next? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think they've had some bad defeats over the past few years. You, you think back to when they lost at home to Sale. They got stuffed by Sale when, when Glenn Delaney was coaching. So there's been some really poor results, but I think it's the the opposition they were up against, which makes it a lot worse. I mean, they didn't score a single point for 75 minutes against uh, a Georgian team who had hardly played together, um, full of tier two players, with all, all respect to them. You know, you'd, you'd expect um, a professional Welsh team to to beat them, but they, they couldn't do that. Um, I, I think there's a lot of problems. Um you know, obviously, you know, we 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 all know the issues with the the union and the funding, so that that's one thing. But I do think that um, there are some people at at the regions who use the funding situation and the union um, in ways to mask over their own inadequacies. They're an easy sort of they're an easy target sometimes, even though they they are they are you know they aren't without blame. But you, you just look at the. Of course, they had injuries, but you look at that pack that they had out, for example, um, and if that pack had started in the Welsh Premiership, you know, it, it wouldn't look out of place, would it? And that's no disrespect to the players, but you just look at it and you just think they they haven't got the power up front to, to compete with more sides, so that's that's the main issue. But I think you, you just go back and you, you, historically, the Scarlets have never had the financial clout of of other teams. Um, they've got some very generous funding directors who've done a great job keeping them alive, but they, in, in the main, they haven't signed big marquee players, but they, they've they always had a really good academy, but that that's not really been the case. They had a golden generation about 10, 12 years ago with Priestland and Ken Ken Owens and, and Foxy and these players coming through, but in the last few years, it, it's really dried up. You know, they, there's not been that many sort of players coming through that you'd look at and you'd think, yeah, he's going to be like a 50-cap international. If you look at this team, you're probably just looking at Eddie James. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling after that, really, in terms of homegrown players. So that's that's a big issue. And, you know, a lot of people question why they neglected Llanelli RFC. Um, why didn't they use them um, t- as an in-house development tool like Cardiff is the rags? Whether that's right or wrong, uh, you know, that's for others to decide. But that that could be an issue, and I just think some some decisions, you know, are, uh, around recruitment. I mean, you look at Via Fafita; he's he's a fine, fine player. But should that money have been spent um, signing three players who should have boasted the front five, for example? So I think there's a lot of lot of reasons um, as to where they are at the moment. I think Dwayne Peel is a good coach, um, but you know. He's been set up to fail in many ways, and um, partly the union's fault, obviously, for the funding. But I think they've there's been some bad decisions at board level as well. And um, I think if you if you sack Dwayne Peel now, you'd be you'd be addressing the symptom, not the cause. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, and he's probably not helped by the fact that they had that impressive run at the back end of last season, which coincided with Lee Blackett coming in. So then it is 
while Blackett undeniably had an effect, at the end of the day, he was a backs coach. You know, the problem that, the problem that they fixed towards the tail end of last year and the problem that's affecting them now and, and has been the cause has always been the front five. So I, Blackett wasn't necessarily the answer last year. In terms of recruitment, is it is it the case that they've held on to that sort of golden generation too long? Obviously, Priestland left Welsh rugby. Um, you know, Ken Owen's still there. Jonathan Davis is still there. I mean, I remember speaking to a, to a fan who, who made the point that they were too quick to, to sort of keep Jonathan Davis around and say not someone like Sion Calamaphoni. I think at the time that they, they signed Davis to, to, the, to his current deal, I, I don't think really Eddie James or Joe Roberts had actually played much in the way of first-team rugby. Joe Roberts was coming back from injury first half of last season, but second half, he, he played virtually every game, didn't he? So, so, so you know, you can't you can't blame them too much, but they, they'd have known those players were there. Whether they could step up is another thing. But I just think, in terms of what you want of players who can play virtually every week, you know, in a more physical position, Calamaphoni would, would have been the guy to keep around, maybe rather than a than a Jonathan Davis or, or, or a Scott Williams. Yeah, I, I kind of understand their thinking with Calamaphoni because he is. Well, I think he's thirty-four, isn't he? So I kind of, I kind of get that that they've, they, you know, that that his best days may be behind him. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I've spent this morning speaking to to a lot of people who I won't name who are actually involved with the club, and they they're of the opinion, and this is a common theme that, as you you've alluded to there, Ben, you know, the, there's a lot of players there like Ken Owens, Jonathan Davis maybe Samson Lee, Scott Williams being the other one. And this is going to sound really unfair because it's not the players' fault whatsoever. But a lot of a lot of people actually involved in the club have said, obviously not to be named, that they're um that they made the wrong decision holding on to some of these players. And that in total, that's probably about a million pounds that could have been spent strengthening the squad elsewhere or keeping certain academy players that that um that, that should have that shouldn't have gone and, and one person who should know because he was involved and I'm not going to name him I think the biggest issue that a lot of people have is Jack Morgan leaving because obviously it's up to Jack where he plays and credit to the Ospreys for getting him no issues with them at all but like they, they I think they re-signed James Davis um, when Jack was out of contract and Jack's probably thinking to himself well, if I, if I go to the Ospreys, I've got Justin Tipperick in front of me. I learn a lot from him. He's a world-class player. And also, he's going to be, at that time, before Jack was an international, a proper international, he'd be away with, I think it was a Lions season, so he'd be away with Wales and the Lions, so he'd effectively be first choice. Whereas at the Scarlet, there was Josh McLeod, Dan Davis, and before he got injured, James Davis. So a lot of people have questioned why there wasn't more of an attempt made to bend over backwards and really push a boat out to keep Jack Morgan because Jack Morgan could have been a future Scarlet's captain. He, he could have been the face of the region, but the Ospreys and cred, massive credit to them have got him. But having spoken to a lot of people, a lot of people are really pointing to the Jack Morgan situation as uh, as part of the like um, as the the sort of real low point of poor decisions that's been made at the Scarlets in recent years. And it's easy for us to, to sit there and have a dig at the people at the Scarlets because they are working in tough, tough, um, it's a tough situation with the union thing. And they, they've done a lot of good things as well. But the general consensus I'm getting is that there's been some poor decisions made over recruitment and retention and that 
Jack Morgan is an example that I've all, I've been given a lot this morning as to a player that might have stayed if they'd tried a bit harder to keep him. Yeah, and I, I suppose maybe the goalposts have changed a little bit in terms of the last six years of, of whether it's beneficial to keep those players or not. You know, you think back when the Scarlets won the league in 2017, it was based on having a team that was virtually made up of a lot of non-internationals, which meant they were good in the international periods. They gathered momentum heading into the end of the season and they won the league. Off the back of that, then a lot of the boys get capped. You know, Steph Evans, James Davis, they get capped. Um, you know, a lot of other guys, Hadley Parks, obviously, um, would have been capped there or thereabouts that, that autumn, 2017. Really, since maybe 2018, when they had that run to the semi-final, it's not really been beneficial for the Scarlets to have those internationals in terms of what they're getting out of them. And again, this is a wider thing about whether the regions are there to serve the national team or whether they're there to actually compete. And of course, it hasn't been beneficial for the Scarlets to, to have those players. But then financially, up until recently, at least, you know, part of their wages have been compensated by the union. So that there has been that sort of thing, whereas now it's 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 completely almost wasteful for for the Scarlets to be holding on to all those players. But it does feel like they've just held on to to a lot of players for, for far too long. And if you think about the coaching turnaround they've had, it has always felt like, you know, there's been a constant you know, turnaround of coaching. Other than Pivak and, and Brad Moore, it's never, you know, and this is this goes for regional rugby in general. You very rarely see coaches picked off to go to better things in regional rugby. It's usually because they get in the sack. Um, so other than Pivak and Bram, you know, Glenn Delaney was, was sacked at the end of a season. It's just been that constant sort of state of flux and it's not been helped by the fact that the, the squad has almost been stagnant for, for, for sort of, what, five, five, six years really since, since they were competing at the top end of Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think you're making some some good points. Obviously, you know, the, the Brad Moore leaving, obviously, that wasn't their fault. So, that, you know, and Pivot going. So, obviously, there has been a lot of disruption in the coaching team that hasn't exactly been ideal and is not, not really, really down to the to the scarlet. So, that, that was just unlucky. But, yeah, you know, you, you just look at it and you know what I don't understand, right, is I've always thought this. You know, you look at the Ospreys, right? And their academies, so they they always seem to produce really abrasive physical front five players. Look at even if they're not top end internationals. You look at like James Fender has come through now, made his first start in here. I think it was against the Sharks, and you know was pretty dominant physically. You know Reese Davis, real. Nasty piece of work. I mean, that was a compliment in terms of on the field, being abrasive and stuff. It gives you go forward. Um, you know, you look at uh, the, the tight des, you know, you've got someone like Reese Henry, okay, he's got, maybe he's not as fit as he needs to be, but he's a really strong scrummager. But apart from, you look at, okay, the Scarlet's are Samson Lee and Rob Evans, right? And, and maybe Wynn Jones. But in terms of locks, when was the last proper homegrown lock the Scarlet's produced that turned into a top-end international? Like, obviously, Lou Reed won caps, Dom Day won caps, but that that's always been the sort of Achilles heel for them. They developed Jake Ball, but obviously he came, he came from the Western Force in Australia. I, I, I just don't understand why the Scarlets are always weak in that position. They, 
that's something they need to look at. And there's only a, a, like 10, 10 miles, say, between, or a bit more maybe, between the Ospreys region and, and the Scarless region in general. You can't tell me that there aren't blocks like that being that, that could be developed in the Scarless region. I, I just don't understand it. And when I've, sp- I've spoken to a lot of people, as I said, I'm not going to name them, and they're, you know, they're, they're just a bit baffled by the academy setup. You know, they they think that things need to be done differently in the academies, and that that is is sort of been been neglected a little bit, and that they they haven't made the most of it. And I think a key point that needs to be made as well is. As much as the union are to blame in certain aspects for funding, let's not forget the Scarlets had the highest playing budget for a long time. It was about eight, I think it was, it was about seven point eight million to eight million pounds, and they obviously start. It's not black and white because they were stacked with with Welsh internationals, which they lost because of the um, the, the NS thirty eight system. But they didn't do as well as they should have under that budget. And before anyone kicks off, when they won the league, that was before they had a really high playing budget. So. I do think that they need to reassess where they're going and they need, maybe they've got one locked away in a draw somewhere, but they need to change their strategy because at the moment it's just simply not working, is it, in terms of developing players? You've literally got Alex Mann, Lucas Delarua, Mackenzie Martin, literally all, you know, very local lads to, to, to Cardiff and to the area. The oldest 20, 21 out of those. You know, Delarue is 19. Mackenzie Martin's just turned 20. I forget. I think Alex Mann's oh, maybe 21 off the top of my head. The Scarlets don't really have that. I mean, if you look at the, the young players they got right now, Teddy Leatherbarrow has just been, you know, he's been brought from the Buck system. Um, you know, Yoan Lloyd's been their most consistent performer. He's been brought over from Bristol and England. Um, I don't know, they just don't seem to be producing that. And it's almost the irony is, you know, so much of the Scarlet success about six years ago was almost built on having a brilliant sort of back row. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know, look, Josh McLeod is a player who who tends to struggle with injuries, but when he, when he is fit, he is a very good regional player who can hit international level. Dan Davis is is the same, but they, I don't know, their, their back row just hasn't been sort of that 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 fearsome for for a while now. And when you sort of see Cardiff doing it, it it just hammers home where where the Scarlets are, 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 are going wrong. Yeah, exactly. And you know when you look at like the young young academy players that are being forced to play now a bit a bit earlier than they normally would because of the, the playing budgets and stuff. You look around the regions and the I think the other three teams, including the Dragons, from what I can see at the moment, have more promising players coming through than the Scarlet. I would say. I know it's controversial. You look at Scarlet, okay, Eddie James, I, I can see making it because of his size and he, he's, he's a pretty good footballer as well and, and Joe Roberts. But... I just, I just look around and, you know, you look at that Scarlet's pack. Okay, Ben Williams, jury's out to be, he's a be tidy club player. Blair the Barrow, you know, he's been a good signing, but again, he's, he's not going to hit probably international heights. Um, Harry O'Connor, jury out. Um, you know, so, um, you know, Jack Price, I'm not personally not convinced by Morgan Jones, I'm not convinced by. And then you look at Cardiff and, like Mackenzie Martin, he's got stuff to work on, but he's got test player written all over him, hasn't he? 
maybe not now, but in a season or two, you know, De La Rua, you can see the the potential, you know. Um, and it's the same with the Ospreys, James Fender, you know, you could see there's international potential there. Um, and of course, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to name everyone, you know, so so many players, but I just think in general, I think the Scarlets have let it slip a bit in terms of their development pathway. Their academy hasn't worked for a long time. They always go on about it, but in the past, you know, obviously it, it, it did produce players, but it hasn't really produced the right volume of, of quality players for a long time. They've they've supplemented, they've done well with the exile system, but you know, it, it's. I know I, I'm probably going going off on one year, but I, I just I just feel that they are lacking behind the other three teams in terms of their pathway, and there is something fundamentally wrong at that club, right? And there are people at that club in high positions who refuse to see what the issue is. It's up to them to work out what that is. And until they see that, they aren't going to move forward. No, indeed. Um, moving elsewhere from the weekend, we, weekend we, we sort of mentioned Cardiff and they, they played Bath. Uh, crowd of just over 10,000 to watch. A brilliant game. Um, I mean, Bath came away 39-32 victors, but Cardiff were, were right in it, which I don't think many people expect. I don't think anyone really predicted that before the game. You looked at the you looked at the two teams. Bath looked pretty strong, and, and Cardiff actually um, were sort of even even you know for their standards of having to blood a lot of players were looking like they were missing maybe one or two players they would have wanted to be starting. But they once again they went for a hell for leather. You know, Matty Sherrod's just got them just trying to just play an expansive style of rugby that's that's going to please the crowd and really seems to be suit what they're, what they're trying to do there. When the game went unstructured, I thought, you know, they were brilliant. Just from, from 115, the back row was superb. You know, Alex Mann is, is just putting in performances week after week. Tina Stabir's been a great sign in fairness to him. Um, I think Finn Russell got man of the match. I'm not really sure how, um, you know, for, for for missing a tackle on Thomas Williams and and for a couple of forward passes, but I think the 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 Biden thing coming away for me, even though Cardiff lost, was what an occasion it was playing Bath in front of ten thousand. It, it wasn't a great kickoff time, eight pm, and yeah, ten thousand people. A lot of away fans came out, and you're just left once again with the feeling that why 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 are we not playing these fixtures more? Why is there not more? of an Anglo-Welsh concept somewhere. You know, we've it's a long time since we've had the Anglo-Welsh Cup and an Anglo-Welsh league just never seems likely to, to get off the ground, even though, you know, there are currently talks in the Premiership about two-tier league. Would, would you know, Welsh the Welsh regions would surely be better off served there than they are currently in the URC. It just continues to baffle me why... There seems to be a general consensus that this is the way forward, and yet we're never, we're never going to get there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, it goes, um, you know, we we had Simon on um, last week, and he, you know, the the book he he's written about Welsh rugby. You know, it it, it sort of goes back to the fact: what, why haven't we got? You know, why didn't we join an Anglo Welsh league when we had a chance when the game went open in in ninety six and. It's it's just like you're right. I mean, you know, you look at the URC and you have to remortgage your house to attend some away games, and you know if you want to go to South Africa and stuff. And 
I'm no expert on this, but you look at the climate, uh, the climate crisis and you ask yourself, God, the, the carbon footprint of the URC must be enormous. I mean, you could argue it's an irresponsible league in, in many ways, but um, we won't go into that, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, it just had everything. It was a cracking game of rugby to begin with. Um, Cardiff played played some really good stuff. They played their part in it. I think Bath probably had a bit too much power and, and the bench was a bit stronger. And, and also, I, th- I thought there were some poor decisions that went against Cardiff as well. I'm not really sure how. I think it was Bath's fifth try. I can't remember who scored. I'm not really sure how that was given, how the ref could see that grounded. So they, they didn't get the rub of the green either. But I just feel, yeah, you're right. You know, we're playing teams uh, in Ireland, Scotland, Italy, and in a different continent in South Africa, but where Welsh fans are denied games against, you know, they'd only have to travel about two hours, three hours tops up the road, you know, you're Bath, Sexeters, Gloucester, Leicesters, um, et cetera, and, and other clubs. And, you know, in any business, they say, give your customer what he or she wants. And the customer, the fans, and they want Anglo Welsh fixtures, they're voting with their feet. You know, Stephen Jones from the Sunday Times wrote some great pieces as well in the. Um, before and after the game about what, why an Anglo-Welsh league would make sense. You know, our history in Wales is a club tradition and a lot of that that history is built upon Anglo-Welsh fixtures and it's actually the same in, in England because when I worked for Westgate, I went to, to a press conference in Gloucester. I think it was something to do with Ed Slater. It was in the summer, about two, 18 months ago. I walked in, into the reception, went upstairs and they had Gloucester's top 10 victories and there was four against Welsh teams. There was one, I think they beat Llanelli in the Heineken Cup in like 2001 at King's Home. They came from behind and there was this drop goal from the scrum half, Elton Moncrief, that hit David Jones' shoulder, went over the post. And My point is that the English clubs as well, they, their history is, is, is built around Anglo-Welsh fixtures as well. And Everybody wants it. Everybody in the Welsh game wants it. They say the English don't want it, but I, I beg to differ. And I just feel that, okay, maybe an Anglo-Welsh league is out of the question, but the English game, we've had four teams go to the wall. Um, CVC are involved in the top. The rumour is they want to bring the leagues together. And if they do do that and expand the URC, the Welsh teams need to find a way of going into some Anglo-Welsh conference at the very least so they can play English teams week in, week out. But, you know, I, I fully agree with what you said. You know, it's uh, it's the obvious answer, but nobody really wants to, to give the fans what they want, really. Because so. there's, always, there's always a sort of anger from, from Ireland and, and, and Scotland when, when this stuff raises its head, you know. I think there's a there's a sense across the Irish Sea in particular that, that Welsh fans haven't bought into the URC. So, you know... Oh, they they're getting hammered in the URC week in week out. We're all sitting at the bottom. So, what right have you got to go to to to, to try get out of the league and go to England? Which just honestly is just it's, again, it's something that baffles me because for starters, no no one thinks that an Anglo Welsh league would solve all of Welsh rugby. It'd be a start, wouldn't it? It's very easy after a a ten try game uh, where the leads swapped hand around five six times in front of 10,000 people to say, oh, well, this is great. This should be it. I saw some Irish fans going, well, what about when it's, you know, you're, you're away to, to Newcastle? And I was like, well, but that's what every URC game is. Yeah. You know, no one's no one's going to to, to Galway. 
and then I'll come into here. You know, Brian O'Driscoll played in Wales about three times during his whole career. Johnny Sexton's probably never seen Cardiff unless it's an international. Johnny Sexton barely sees Galway, let alone, you know, Wales. And and that's not knocking them because Leinster don't need to put out teams to, to do that. And until you make them, why why should they? But I, it just, I don't know. It, it, there's just this sense of, I don't know, maybe it's fear. Maybe there's a fear that if you take the Welsh teams out, even though they don't contribute to much in terms of results, the league is significantly weakened. But otherwise, it, it just comes across that the Irish, a lot of Irish people, some journalists, um, a lot of fans, uh, they only want us to keep us around because they want us to be their whipping boys and not the English whipping boys. That's, that's, that's what the sort of the tone is. But I don't know. I just think you just, you just look at Saturday night. You just think, why are we not doing this more often? You know, some of my fondest memories of, of sort of the early days of the regional area, the, what was the EDF Energy Cup or the Power Gen Cup as it was back then. And I know that that sort of died a slow and painful death, became a development competition. But at the end of the day, it was second, it was, you know, it was tertiary effectively to the league and to Europe. But, you know, the, the region certainly had strong convictions as to what they wanted in that. They got kicked out of the Celtic League for it. Obviously, <laughs> reinstated, but they were willing to get kicked out of the Celtic League to, to try forge that. And I just think... Again, it's just that thing that everyone talks about, but no one's really willing to put their, their neck on the block with it. You know, and you'd think we had COVID three years ago, which was the perfect time to reset the game. And if we haven't done it then, are we really going to do it now? Maybe the fact that English rugby's clearly, you know, financially struggling will we'll sort of force hands, but I don't hold my breath. No, but I 100% agree with everything you said. I mean, like obviously the URC works for Ireland, um, probably beginning to work for South Africa as well. Um, but just because it works for those countries doesn't mean it's going to work for Wales. I mean, it's what we've got. I mean, there's plenty. It's a high level of rugby. You know, there's a lot of quality in that league. You know, Leinster, um, Leinster, Munster, maybe Ulster and the South African teams may be better than every team in England, bar maybe Saris, but... You know, I think people need to realise that, like, England has a salary cap to begin with. So, obviously, there wouldn't be as many mismatches. You know, there's not as much gulf between, I don't know, the Ospreys and, uh, you know, I just uh, trying to think, and Gloucester as there is between the Ospreys and Leinster, for example, you know. Um, And obviously, if we went to an Anglo-Welsh league, it's not going to be the panacea to all our problems. It's going to be poor games in that league. And the there's going to be issues, but I just feel the ecosystem and the ecosystem of an Anglo-Welsh league suits Welsh rugby more than a URC competition would. And I think playing in an Anglo-Welsh league, in fact, I've been told this by some of the directors at the regions, that they would have a better chance of like um, sort of drawing in investment if they played in a league like that than the URC. Like, a lot of people in the game think that the URC, who, who you know, in, in the administrative side of things, they wouldn't admit this publicly, but a lot of them think that the URC holds the Welsh teams back from making money as well. And I can kind of see their point. Um, an Anglo-Welsh or some, for, yeah, some form of Anglo-Welsh competition would, would be more attractive to, to would-be investors. So I think that's, 
that's the key point as well. But as it stands, it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But on the subject of investors, just to get a bit more positive, Cardiff finally got their their deal over the line. Um, you know, major new investment coming into the club. It's got to be a good thing, hasn't it, Ben? No, it absolutely has. Um, Masher was joking afterwards that they're, they're going to go, go sign Anton Dupont now. <laughs> um, but yeah, ma- massively. Uh, it just... Uh, you know, funny enough, and this sums up Welsh rugby. I saw a tweet after they announced it of um, someone replying to Cardiff saying, oh, well, I hope we don't go out and sign some big names now because these kids are playing brilliantly. Uh, it's just perfectly sums up Welsh rugby but I mean they won't let's be honest but also it just means that hopefully everything's financially better now so in a few years time we don't start losing Mackenzie Martin Alex Mann can win it yeah. to English clubs who are sniffing around and that's what you want um, just just want to have a bit of stability moving forward in the next few years and, and hopefully Cardiff can kick on because you know some I, I know some some fans probably get annoyed if you say this down west but we, you do need a strong Cardiff yeah absolutely 100%. Um, you know not not in the same you know you maybe look at the Irish model and it, it, it is maybe a bit too weighed towards Leinster and again that's you know things with the the sort of school system they got there and you know just Dublin being what it is but you, you feel like you need a strong Cardiff team in, in Wales Um so yeah, hopefully, hopefully the funding helps with that. Um, but yeah, just going back to to the Anglo Welsh thing, and I think maybe maybe that's that's part of it. Is you know you you look at you look at Leinster and what their fans want. You know, look back to the nineties; they were getting two and a half thousand at Donnybrook. Bit of investment, get the system right, success. And they're suddenly just able to bring in crowds for whoever turns up. I don't think, I mean, look, Welsh rugby fans react to success. We know that, you know, Scarlet's got however many at Parker Scarlet's last year for the semi final. It's close to say, look, I think, was it? Yeah, exactly. But I think there is a nature of. There's, there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's a small minority of diehards. In, in Wales and there's a lot of casuals hmm. and that's always the discrepancy and I think that's why we're never going to f- struggle to sell out the Principality State you know even if we don't have success it's playing the English teams that's what that's what will get the casuals involved yeah you can't deny that the South African teams are bringing quality rugby and the, you know what when they come to to Wales they're a joy to watch hmm. and in fairness to them they, they bring some away fans because there's a large South African community in London they tend to travel because of the long tours they do. But you're left feeling cold, whether it's the Scottish teams, the Italian teams, the Irish teams, or the South teams. It just doesn't have that feeling to it. Whereas when, you know, on the weekend playing Bath, you had a lot of away fans who were very loud, it's got to be fair. And it just felt like an occasion. And I just, I can't understand why you wouldn't want to tap into that more because that's what's going to get casuals. Yeah coming through the gates and that's that's what Welsh rugby needs is to somehow work out how you turn those casuals from eight weekends a year into significantly more and you, you know like if you're a casual fan right and you see um, you know you know you're walking around Cardiff 
and then you see the like car, a poster Cardiff v Cardiff Rugby v the Hollywood Bets Sharks. Like I don't know. Like, I got an example. I was watching. I can't remember what I was watching. I think it might have been the Scarless Games at the start of the season. And my good friend walked in. She doesn't really like rugby, but she's like, "Who are the Scarless playing?" And she looked. Oh, the Shark. Uh, sorry, the Bulls. And she didn't have a clue where they were from. Do you see what I mean? But as if somebody's walking in Cardiff and they're like Cardiffy Bath, Cardiffy Leicester, it's Anglo. They know exactly where that is. They know it's Anglo Welsh. They know they're really strong teams. Do you understand what I mean? There's 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 history in those names. There's power in a name as well. And I just think there's just an Anglo Welsh league would be. You could market that so much better than the URC in Wales. And I think the the analogy you made is just spot on. You know, it would bring in like you got your diehard fans, like you know, people are increased sixteen at the Scarless and um, is a CF ten. I can't remember with with car. You know, they would turn up if they played a team from Azerbaijan. Like, but but your casual fans, they want Anglo Welsh fixtures, and you could draw in those casual fans if you were in an Anglo Welsh league, and also like. I think you could have like a better pattern to fixtures because you could have Cardiff play, Cardiff always playing a Friday night. You know, like Ulster always playing Friday night. So in Belfast, Friday night is Ulster rugby night, end of or every other week. And then you could say Cardiff are at home against Bath one week on a Friday and the next week they're playing Leicester and the next Friday they're home against Saracens and you'd have a better pattern of fixtures. I just think the more, like we're discussing now, the more you think of an Anglo-Welsh league, the more you think, yeah, this solves a lot of Welsh rugby's problems well, in the long it, run. It, it really does, it, doesn't it? Yeah, just even little things. I mean, how many how many derbies do the Welsh teams lose in a year? And how many how many times do we see them? Like when when did Cardiff play their final home game of the the, the season last year? It was ridiculously early. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll go they'll go months without you know home games, and that's the lifeblood. That's what you, you need a good amount of home games in a season. Yeah. To get to get money, you know, in the bank, and and ultimately, that's the URC doesn't tend to provide those opportunities. No, no, I, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, as I said, you know, we remember when the Scarlets won the league, get to the knockout stage of the playoffs. The URC is good, but on a week to week basis, an Anglo Welsh league would be so much better. I mean. I'm going to get depressed after this podcast now because I'm just going to come to the realisation we're not going to have an Anglo-Welsh league, but it really is the answer, I think. No, I know. I think, you know, you'll get that. You'll get that sort of response of, oh, you just got to make the best of what you're in and, oh, why are you moaning? You, you, you're bottom. But I just think, if we're bottom, what does it matter to the Irish, to the South Africans, to the Scots and the Italians if we if we left? Mm. Other than, obviously, the financial hit of, of what that would mean in terms of you know, yeah. the league is a, is, is a viable thing moving forward. That that's that's probably their concern rather than, yeah. Oh no, we're lo- we're losing a team. We're losing four teams who tend to to win about five games a season. Yeah, but yeah, um, I suppose we'll, we'll put that to one side and maybe see if it, it gets picked up again in the in the new year. I'm sure it will. I mean, Quins Quins are coming to the Arms Park in the new year, so there's there's another Anglo Welsh game coming up, but we can dig into that. Um, quickly um, looking at the other two teams um, on the weekend two losses in France um, I mean for the Ospreys it was 
a tough one out in Montpellier. Having beaten them twice last year, to be fair to them, this was a, a you know a, a different result. They lost, had a couple of uh, sort of dropouts just before kickoff, which didn't help. I see people sort of saying that oh, well, Montpellier are towards the bottom of the league, but I mean, what's mm. what's their budget? Yeah, and look at the quality of player they got. Is it, tw- is it 25 million in euros that, they're probably working on? In that uh, I mean, category, I think, yeah. We could, we could be playing teams in the second tier of France and we'd still be working on a third of their budget. You know, the, the Ospreys have just lost George North to uh, Provence, who are on a 13 million a year euro budget. Yeah. So I, I don't think Montpellier being bottom of the of the top 14s, you know, much of a barometer in that sense. If anything, it just it just shows what a ridiculous set of results it was last year. Yeah, and, and also, Ospreys put them away. you know, like what summed it up was the Ospreys were bringing on like Dan Edwards, who's a fine prospect. I think he played for Wales one day. Um, but then Montpellier were bringing on, I think it was Paul Valempsi, Corbus Reinach. That emphasised the difference in what they were bringing off the bench. And like just, just you know, just the power they got, the quality. The Ospreys actually had more possession, I think, and territory than them. But just that extra bit of quality out way, like they had George Bridge playing ex All Black Wing. You know, Paolo Garbisi had a really you know, field day, didn't he, with the cross kicks and the just putting people into space and stuff. And it's just, you know, if the Ospreys can get like their strongest team in the park, they could give Montpellier a game if not beat them. But there's just and the Ospreys are better equipped than the other Welsh teams to to beat, you know, the, the more well-resourced teams in France and England. But, you know, you get a couple of injuries and, you know, you've got Morgan Morse playing, who I think is a special talent, but he's up against Sam Simmons, who's a British and Irish lion, you know. It's just, yeah, it's just a different league in terms of resources. And, um, yeah, they, they, they were just blown away by... Uh, by a stronger, better resourced team with a bit more quality at the end of the day, wouldn't they? I think that's no. the reality of it. No, absolutely. Just going back to the Scarlets, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is, like, you look at them, and, you know, against when they played Cardiff in both derbies, which they ironically won, like, they really looked up for it, didn't they? You know, maybe it's because Welsh derby, there's, there's like, um, Welsh places potentially on the line, but... That game against the Black Lions, I'll probably get crucified for saying this, but it was it was unprofessional, wasn't it? They they just didn't look up for it. They didn't look like they were playing for the shirt. I know players hate when journalists say that, but that that's a reality. And I just don't I just don't understand why that is. There must be something bad going on behind the scenes. But then you look at like the Dragons. Yes, they they'll target the Scarlets. And I think the area they can get like real joy is up front, obviously, because against Cardiff, Car- you know, I, I remember saying on the po- on the podcast um, uh, the week before they they beat Cardiff at the Arms Park. I think we had Hugo Gustafsson on, and most people were saying Scarlets had no chance because they got they were terrible against the Ospreys. But I said that because Cardiff play fast and furious, I, I mean, it's not as straightforward as that, obviously, but they they play an expansive game. When you play that game, you give the Scarlets an in, if you see what I mean. And that's when they're a good team, when the game is broken up. So the Dragons have got to be mindful of not falling into that trap, I think. Then they've got to keep it tight. They've got to take the Scarlets on up front. Got to do similar to what they did against the Ospreys. They've got to make the Scarlets. The fans have got a part to play as well, obviously. You know, it's a, 
it's, it's an intimidating place to go, Rodney Parade. But I think up front is the area where the Dragons can really have a go at the Scarlets because they may have Lousy back and McLeod, which should be a big boost. But the Scarlets front five is not it's not strong enough, really, to go toe-to-toe with, with, with good packs. I think that that's been proven this season. So if the Dragons start putting A on the ball, that would be unwise against a team like the Scarlets. But if they play tight, play territory and possession, I think they... You know, they get every chance of beating them, I think. Absolutely. I guess there's only just one little thing then to uh, to do before we, we call time on, on 2023. And that's, I guess, just to look back at the year and, and to maybe pick out, well, well, we'll keep the awards to a minimum. We'll, we'll pick out a moment of the year and a, and a player of the year. It's been a, It's been a long year. You know, you think back to January and February. That seems a, a hell of a long time ago. Yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> the, that was bizarre. Yeah, the the strike stuff. I mean, mo- moment of the year. I don't. Know, I don't know if it good or bad because you know we have gone from the sublime to the ridiculous at times this year. You know, we've put forty points on the Wallabies in Leon, which was a far cry from literally being. You know, sat around all day at the Vale, wondering if Wales England was going to go ahead and, and whether the Union would fi- financially survive. You know, the potential strike action and, and everything that was happening that week. What, what, what would you say has been the moment of the year? Um, there was a moment in that Wallabies game. You know, Gareth Anscombe chipped over the top for Tompkins to score, and just seeing the reaction of Tompkins and Anscombe, you know, I think I think there was a replay straight after Anscombe basically going wild celebrating. I just thought that was quite a special moment because Wales had obviously been through such a tough time on and off the field, especially during the the strike action, and they had a poor Six Nations and everything happening with the regions, and and Anscombe obviously you know, he's had his injury problems some really bad injuries, obviously, and missed the last World Cup. So I thought, you know, they'd been through hell. They'd worked their absolute backsides off. Gatland deserves his credit, obviously. I just, I just thought that was quite a special moment, you know, that Tompkins try and unscum celebrations. So for me, I, I go for that one. Player player of the year? Jack Morgan, is it? Probably yeah, Jack Morgan, isn't it? I, there's been, you know, there's been a good few players, you know, that have been oh, yeah. through, but... Nick Tompkins, I think somebody got to mention as well. People don't give him credit, but he's he's really stepped up. But yeah, you can't look past Jack Morgan, given a captaincy at a young age, in a tough, tough time as well for Welsh rugby. It's not as if we've been successful. The knives are out, you know, the ter- repo Six Nations, all the off-field stuff. I, I think the way he's dealt with it on and off the field, he's been a credit to himself, his family, to the Ospreys, to Welsh rugby, yeah. So, and he's a world class player, and he's only going to get better. So, yeah, sure, you agree, Jack. Jack's got to win that by a country mile, really. I think. Absolutely. Um, okay, one more question. One more question. One one wish for twenty twenty four. One. Um, <laughs> I mean, not not for a repeat of 2023 would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, an Anglo-Welsh league, that'd be lovely. Yeah. For the union to produce a credible strategy as early as possible in the, in the start of the year 
and to actually nail it and to stick to it. Because we had that, we had that virtuous cycle nonsense six years ago, that six point plan by the union. Mm. And I think the first point they never, they never got around to doing. Yeah. Which was what, yeah, <laughs> uh, resource the regions and keep them strong. I so, think, yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, but that's, it's, it's got to be that. It's got to be, you know, 2023 was a, a horrendous year in many ways in terms of what what started the year, but it's also been a, a year of, you know, basically forcing change through necessity. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in 2023 that, let's be honest, wouldn't have happened without bad headlines. You know, yeah. if you think, you think back to the AGM in 2022, hmm. literally couldn't vote anything through. So a lot of stuff's happened this year was that we've now got a sort of a new face to the WIU, a lot of change. 2024 has got to be the year where they are now seen to be doing what is right for Welsh rugby. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Cause I think you made a good point earlier, like um, about like, you know, like Cardiff are working hard to like develop like Mackenzie Martin, Lucas De La Rua, Evan Daniel, and there's other examples at all four regions, obviously, but like, the the worry I've always had is that with playing budgets going down, we're developing them for English clubs or French clubs. So I think just a strategy from the union where doesn't where we don't just have a successful men's and women's national team, but also the, the regions can be successful in their own right. So I, I would agree with you. I, I go I, I go with that as well. Well there we go. Those that's our wish for twenty twenty four. Um thank you for listening to the podcast this year if you have enjoyed do make sure to leave a review wherever you listen to it too it really does help us out um, but until the next one have a very merry Christmas and a happy new year and goodbye